0: That's uh, one of my very favorite songs. And I just want to say how grateful and blessed we are to have Paul as our worship pastor. So thank you, Paul. Well, this morning is going to be a sermon with some really low lows and hopefully some really, really high highs. Uh, We're we're looking at a a dark passage. Uh, It's a passage that expresses what so often people feel but don't feel comfortable saying in you know, Christian circles. We're working our way through uh, the, the poets today, and today our reading moving forward in this week, we're looking at the, the second book of Psalms, which are a lot of them are laments, and we're looking at the book of uh, Lamentations. And, and 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 these books are written by a man, we think it could be Jeremiah, we're not sure who it was exactly, who is experiencing a lot of pain and frustration and and, and doubt and and fear and anguish. Uh, It it makes me think of the end of Psalm 88, where it says, darkness is my closest friend. That also makes me think of the the line from uh, The Sound of Silence, the Simon and Garfunkel classic, hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh, that's what these psalms and this book of Lamentation expresses. It's this idea of, of a difficult place in life. And where is God in the midst of that? So, so the question we're looking at today is, is, where is God when life is so difficult, when it's so painful, when it's, when it's so, so hard? You might be sitting here today and thinking, well, my life is going really, really well. I don't really struggle with these issues. Uh, maybe you're sitting here today and you say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. But if, if you're not right there with me, I guarantee you there will come a point in your life where you will be or somebody you care about and love will be there. So I hope you'll hang with me as we work our way through this dark passage where at the end there's going to be a twist and we'll see some, something that we can hang on to and something that's helpful. And then we're going to celebrate some baptisms. So this is a great Sunday. So this, this passage, we're going to look at Lamentations chapter 3. And I encourage you uh, to, if you have your your uh, immersed Bibles with you, to turn there. It's on page uh, 173, at the or yeah, 173 at the bottom. You can follow along on the screens behind me, or or also uh, the church app, or your own Bibles if you'd like to do that as well. But this was written, uh, as we said, by either a Jeremiah or a man like him. And uh, what's happened here is the city of Jerusalem. The the center of their life as the people of God, the the center of their hope and their salvation, that's where they go to worship in the temple. It's been decimated. The Babylonians have come in and they've destroyed it. Uh, They've drug people off into captivity. People have died. And the writer here is just pouring out his soul. And he uses a number of images to describe how devastated he is and how he feels that, that God, God is nowhere to be seen, that God is almost Against him, well, in fact, he says God's against him. And let's pick it up in um, in chapter three, and we're going to start off in verse one. I'm the one who has seen afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He's talking about God, and I think what he's doing here is he's hey, I know Psalm 23, I've 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 read it, I've memorized it, I've sung it in worship, I know it well. I know God is my good shepherd. I know He walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death and all that stuff, but It feels like to me that you're not doing your job as a shepherd. Uh, In in Psalm 23, the shepherds, rod and staff, they comfort the sheep. Here it, it seems to be the opposite. He's talking about the rod of God's wrath used to beat rather than to guide, to inflict pain rather than to provide comfort. And it keeps getting worse. Verse two, he has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and flesh grow old. He has broken my bones. He's talking about God here. He has besieged me and surrounded me with anguish and distress. Now, note that image. This, this, this book was written in a time when people, a lot of people lived in fortified cities, cities with these huge walls that would protect them. And so if an enemy attacked you, could, you could hold out for weeks, even months, if you had enough water and food there. Um, but, but it could become really awful because if the enemy was patient enough, they'd try to wait you out. And it would get so bad that sometimes inhabitants of these cities would even resort to eating their own dead. And an army, if they got impatient, they would come to the wall and, and just batter at it, away at it. And this is the picture that the writer says God is doing to his life. He's like an army laying siege to a city. He continues... He has buried me in a dark place like those long dead, like a coffin. He has walled me in and I cannot escape. He has bound me in heavy chains and though I cry and shout, he has shut out my prayers. He has blocked my way with a high stone wall. He has made my road crooked. He has hidden like a bear or a lion waiting to attack me. He has dragged me off the path and torn me to pieces, leaving me helpless and devastated. This is strong stuff. You know, Earlier this year, there was a story, maybe you read about it or saw it on the news, about two college uh, wrestlers, junior college wrestlers up in Wyoming, and they were hiking in the mountains looking for uh, elk antlers that had just you know, been discarded when a grizzly bear attacked him. One was attacked and being mauled, his friend jumped in to try to help, and the bear turned on him and threw him around like a rag doll, pinned him against a tree, and, and the kid shoved his arms and hands into the bear's mouth so it wouldn't attack his face and kind of rip his jugular. For some reason... Uh, the bear lost interest and left, and they both survived, and the one's going to have many, many, many surgeries in the days to come. The writer says, that's what God is doing to me. That's what it feels like, mauling me like a bear, just tearing me to pieces, throwing me around, mauling me. But it gets even worse. In verse 12, he writes, He has drawn, he has drawn his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He shot his arrows deep into my heart. My own people laugh at me. All day long they sing their mocking songs. He has filled me with bitterness and given me a bitter cup of sorrow to drink. He has made me chew on gravel. He has rolled me in the dust. Peace has been stripped away and I've forgotten what prosperity is. This is really bad. I cry out. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. This guy is at the bottom. He has no hope because it seems that God is, is against him, actively against him. Now, I don't know how you respond when you, when you hear this or read this. You might think, well, this guy, he's a little bit of a whiner, maybe, you know, or, or you think, where's his faith? This is a, this is a man of God. His, his words are included in the Bible. Where is his faith? But the city where he's lived, where his family lives, the center of his nation's life, where his hopes reside, his connection to the, to the living God, it's, it's been destroyed. You know, over the course of my life, I've run into some people that could identify with these words. Maybe you have. I think of a woman who years ago she's no longer in Snyder, but she was here for just a short time, a couple of years. lived by herself, uh, just retired, a part of our church. And I remember visiting with her and hearing her story, and it was just jaw dropping. She was like a modern day Job. See, within a matter of uh, a little over a year, she lost her husband, who was a Vietnam vet from the effects of Agent Orange, a horrible way to die. Her daughter, one of her daughters, died in a car wreck suddenly. And the other daughter died from anaphylactic shock. She was a modern-day Job. And she was all alone. She didn't know anybody. And she still had faith in God, but she had so many questions. And when you pray with her prayers, reflected this. There was a, she would lament. That was the, the mood and the, and the emotion of, of this book and of her life. I've known people over the course of my life who have suffered from mental illness. And things sometimes can be so dark for them that they don't know how they can get on and go on. This chapter may express some of what they might feel. Why do I struggle with this? Why am I this way? I know people who have lost children. And what a devastating darkness that can be for them. Even if you're not in one of these places right now, I think we can appreciate the fact that sometimes in life we get hit with things that make it hard to see God. And where is God when life is so hard, when there's so much pain and hurt? And what's interesting in this chapter is after the first 20 verses of just sheer depression and darkness, there's a huge turn in verse 21. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. This was the guy who just said in verse 18, all I hope for from the Lord is gone. But he says, wait a second. I still can dare to have hope. I can still dream to have hope, dare to have hope, because I remember this. Verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Now, there are two great Hebrew words here for love in this verse. The first is hesed, hesed, and it's the term that refers to a sort of a loyal love. It's God making a promise and making a commitment and saying, I'm going to be loyal to that promise. I will love you because I made a promise that I will do it, and I keep my word. The second Hebrew word for love here is, is a word that encompasses this word uh, tr- uh, mercy or compassion, and that's the, uh, the emotional side of love. It's a word that in the Old Testament would have been used to refer to the love that a mother would have for her child in her, in her womb. So these two loves together, it's it's powerful. You've got the loyalty part, God's commitment, that regardless of how he feels, he's going to be true to his commitment to us, love us no matter what. And this, this deep intimacy and, and compassion and, and heartbeat he has for us. And these... These two loves are present in this one verse. You know, I love the the classic hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It says, Morning by morning, new mercies I see. There might be some mornings when you wake up and you don't see those mercies right away. But even if I can't see them, it does not change the fact that they're there. And, And these words for love are used to describe God in Exodus 34, 6, where God reveals himself to Moses. Mount Sinai, all that stuff, and, and and God says, "This is who I am. I am loving, I am love, and I am faithful." And, and the writer here of of Lamentations wants wants his readers to understand because that's what sustains him, that's what gets him through these dark, and scary, and depressing, confusing times. That even when we feel like God's against us, or left the premises. That he's loving, he's compassionate, and that he's faithful. The writer then uses another word picture in verse twenty four. He says, "I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance." Another other translations say, "The Lord is my is my portion," which is kind of we 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 don't. I mean, it's a biblical thing. We think, okay, whatever. We don't relate to it. But what 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 they're doing here the, his re- readers would have would have connected instantly because. Back when this book was written, the people of Israel each would have a plot of land, a portion of land, an inheritance that was passed on from generation to generation. That's how they sustained themselves. They would rent it out, live off the income, or they would farm it themselves. So the writer is saying, the Lord is my inheritance, my portion. He's, he's my life. He keeps me going. He keeps me alive. And therefore, he says, therefore, I will wait for him. Verse 25. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. That's why in verse 31, the writer says, for no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. No matter what you're going through, in other words, God's not going to let you go through it alone, and God will not let you go through it forever. And though he brings grief, he says in verse 32, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of his unfailing love. And he uses that same word translated great love. That's who God is, for he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. So the writer is saying, I'm in a time in life when it feels like God's against me. He doesn't hear my prayers. It feels like my bones are being broken. I'm a target of his. He's mangling me like a bear. I've broken my teeth. I don't have any hope. But he says, but I do have hope when I remember this, God is loving, God is faithful, God is compassionate, God is my provider. That's why he has hope. And over and over you see this. Verse 21, I still dare to have hope. Verse 24, therefore I will hope in him. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who depend or hope. On him. Verse 26, which is an interesting one, is good to wait quietly. And then verse 29, let them lie face down in the dust for there is hope. What's that about, lying face down in the dust? I believe what he's saying is that go ahead and grieve. Don't deny reality. Work through your situation. Endure what you're going through because there is hope on the other side. And that hope is based on God's compassion, his mercy, his faithfulness, his great love. Now, if you continue reading through this chapter, you'll see uh, sections from 37 through 48 that tells you there's something else you can do besides wait and have hope in God. If you've been rebelling against God, and if what you're facing is because in part of your rebellion against God, then you need to turn that around. In verse 40, it says, let us turn back to the Lord because the people of Israel have rebelled against God for centuries And finally, God pulls back and says, "Okay, you can go your own way. And the consequences are what come next. And so if 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 what you're going through, your dark period in life is because you're rebelling against God, turn it around, repent. But I also remind you that that when bad things happen to God's people, it doesn't always mean that we've been doing something wrong. Because sometimes they're the consequences of living in a broken and fallen world with broken and fallen people. And we, we suffer the consequences of their choices or living in a world that things don't always make sense. We don't understand. But in the midst of those times, what is the basis for our hope? It's God's love. It's compassion. His faithfulness. And our bad circumstances do not change that fact. Catherine Green McCride is a professor in in Connecticut, got a Ph.D. from Yale, leader in her church. Many come to her for counsel, but she struggles with, uh, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And uh, part of her journey, she wrote this book called Darkness is My Companion. She uses the last line of Psalm 88 as the title. And, and she would argue that even though we can't just read from the Bible and expect somebody to feel better immediately, it is ultimately the love of God that brings any sort of hope, and any sort of healing. And, and what I find interesting about this passage is that this writer who's in this dark period remembers something that he has learned before. He's already experienced God's love. He's already seen God's faithfulness. He's already uh, seen God's mercies, which are new every morning. And so he clings to that. He, he focuses on that. He remembers that. And I encourage you to do that too because the day is going to come when you're going to get a phone call with news you dread from a doctor or a child or a friend and you're going to need to know and rely upon God's love and grace and faithfulness and mercy. Now, if your life is going well and you know someone who's down and struggling and feeling like this writer, don't go up to them and say, remember, God still loves you and his compassion never comes in. You might want to just sit with them for a while, cry with them for a while, lament with them for a while, because that's the reality. But eventually God will use you to help them recall what God's word says about his love. In fact, Catherine um Green McWright said that that was what happened. The faithfulness of several friends came alongside her and just served her and and loved her and supported her. And eventually, through them, she was reminded of what God said about God's love for her. And that's what got her through. And and all of this uh, is true for us today because of what Jesus Christ did, isn't it? Uh, Jesus came to die for our sin and he rose from the dead and defeated sin. He was raised to life so that we can be raised to life as well. We're going to celebrate that in baptism in a few minutes. And so in light of this, I want to read to you from Romans 8 by another, uh, another biblical author, the Apostle Paul, that speaks to this issue as well. What do you do when things are dark and overwhelming? What do you cling to? He writes, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's saying life is hard and difficult. Where is God? In the midst of this, the answer is next. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. There it is. God's love. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is again. God's love. God's faithfulness. His faithful love. And that my friends, is what in the darkest of times will, will get us through, will hold us fast. It's recalling God's love. It's remembering His mercies that are new every morning. It's celebrating His great and wonderful faithfulness. And so my hope for you is that you will know God's love, you'll experience God's love, and you will cling to it regardless of what going, is going on in your life. So end with again the words of the of the poet. Therefore I still dare to have hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends and his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new each and every morning. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are grateful for your word. We are grateful, Lord, that you uh, through your spirit, have inspired uh, this this person to write and express um, what so many people at different points of their lives feel. Lord, help us in the midst of, of the darkness that sometimes we encounter, the, the difficulties, the pain sometimes caused because of our own choices. Other times we're innocent victims in a sense. Lord, we we pray that in the midst of those things that we would remember, dare to have hope and remember that your love never fails, your mercy never ceases, and you are faithful. So, Lord, we offer ourselves to you now in Jesus' powerful and precious name, through whom we pray. Amen.